Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Hello, welcome to Series 5, Episode 7 of Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged. As you know, I'm Mark Fielding, psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and your host. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to speak to Lee Balcom, PhD, counsellor, author, podcast host, and the creator of the Save the Marriage program. Lee has over a quarter of a century of experience helping couples and individuals learn to thrive. Dr. Balcom is trained as a therapist and coach, and he's also a popular speaker in a number of topics. Today's episode is about recovery from an affair, but I'm sure we will pull in much more from Lee's vast experience. Lee lives in New York with his wife and has two adult children. Uh, and I've recently read Lee's book, Recovery from the Unfair, and uh, I found it to be really good. So, <laughs> so thanks for that. Yeah, it's yeah, a great book. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me make one correction. I don't live in New York. I live in North Carolina. Oh, apologies. <laughs> That's right, okay. okay. <laughs> I always I always kick off the show by asking our guests what personal experiences led them into the field, and obviously, Lee, say as much or you know as little as you're happy with. Yeah, uh, probably this goes back to my childhood. Um, so okay. <laughs> um, I I mean, I, I think that's true for a lot of therapists, you know, that we're trying to figure out Definitely. <laughs> what happened back there. <laughs> uh, for me, um, I was I was very fortunate. My parents um, still have a very loving uh, marriage, uh, very supportive connection with each other, always have. Uh, my grandparents on both sides also had an intact marriage. So uh, I had good models watching that. Um, and I've got uh, an uncle and aunt that managed to do the same, but every other aunt <laughs> and uncle uh, failed miserably at their marriage. And uh, what I watched was the destruction that that wrought on the family. Yeah. Um, I saw the effect on my grandparents who were, you know, watching their kids go through this pain. I watched my parents as their siblings were going through this pain. Mm -hmm. And I watched my cousins go through that, um, watched for a limited time because the split was so bad that um, I don't have contact with a number of my cousins because of those divorces. And what I realized was early on, um, divorces, uh, whatever we think are well-meaning and okay, are destructive to the family, the family, larger family system, they, they are, yeah. um, as are uh, troubled marriages. So it's yeah. not a, you know, sometimes we get this dichotomy of stay in a crappy marriage or get out. And I think yeah. there's that, what led me to the, but what's the third option, you know, that, that set the stage. Um, and, and to be honest, I didn't realize that for a long time. So it's a, a subconscious or unconscious motivation. So um, when I was um, in college, I realized that I was going to have to go to grad school and uh, I wanted to be a, a therapist, which uh, required, uh, lots of extra training, way more than I thought. <laughs> and when I got to grad school, um, after a couple of masters and a PhD, uh, I had rooted myself into uh, doing some individual work, but within a systems understanding and doing a lot of family and couples work all from a systems understanding. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning point. Um, I got a little frustrated with uh, the therapy world. Um, and spent a lot of my time in my graduate school talking about what was wrong with our therapy models and and uh, how we could move forward differently. And so 
I did that as I left grad school. Uh, I immediately went into coach training, and I also started looking for ways to help couples actually improve their relationship. Um, I realized that a lot of what I'd been taught wasn't helping a bit in therapy. And so um, I began to look for what would work. And that's what kind of led to the Save the Marriage system and has continued to be uh, part of what I, the work I do with, with couples really around the world now. Yeah, and I really agree with you. You know, I mean, as couples, couples therapists myself, I think, you know, I mean, I have to put a caveat and say every couple is obviously completely different. You know, I mean, couples are very, very individual as, you know, as we all are. But couples need strategies, don't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I think to sit with a couple and it, it, it's helpful, I think, to go back and look at the generational history and do the kind of therapy thing. But I think couples in crisis, they they want strategies, don't they? They want things they that they can use. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think what uh, what we miss about it, individual therapy, um, the idea of a therapist being neutral makes some sense. Um, I also think that's a myth. I don't think that any therapist is yeah. neutral, but we try that in individual. It doesn't yeah. work uh, in marital work uh, where, you know, somebody comes in and you say, oh, how are you feeling about that? What do you think about that? Now, I'm I, obviously I'm using some broad terms there, but yes, yeah. couples often need somebody to coach them how to get to something different. And yeah. therapy hasn't uh, allowed that very well, or has been confused about how to allow that anyway. Mm -hmm. And so one, one of the things that um, I, I, I don't know your experience, but a lot of therapists just kind of default to this, well, let's help you communicate better. And, um, yeah. you know, that's, it's an, it's, it's the low fruit, right. And very ineffective. Uh, it's the rotten fruit in my feeling that it's down there because, uh, what often ha communication for any of us is a way you and I are communicating here. We're just transferring information, right? We're trying yeah, to make it helpful sure. and useful. And it's just a transfer of information. So, uh, many times I'll have a couple who will come in and say, you know, help us. Our, our communication is not good. And we'll sit there and talk for half an hour. And they've got communication problems. That's that's their, I put that in air quotes. And I'll sit there after about, you know, 20, 25 minutes and say, you know, the funny thing is I've understood both of you perfectly. There's no communication problem here. So it's not the communication. It's what you're sending across that communication. It's the connection that has messed up your communication. And so teaching you communication skills probably make you be fight better, fight more effectively, maybe win your side faster, but it's not going to help the relationship. And, and so, yeah, I think that couples really do need somebody to say, you need to head in this direction if you want to get there. Yeah. And there's a lot of helpful research, isn't there? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I find myself really agreeing with that. You know, I mean, often couples, I think, need some guidance. They need some strategies. You know, I mean, we're, we're the therapists. So we, we do, we look at the research, we, you know, we kind of, you know, skill ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I co I find a coaching method, depending on the couple, is much, much more helpful, really. And couples generally want that, don't they? Especially if they come into therapy and they are absolutely in crisis. Now I'm going to kind of segue into the affair, if that's okay, because obviously for any couple, that is an enormous kind of crisis. I mean, I'm going to ask you a really broad question, Lee. So, I mean, answer it as best you can, but <laughs> are there certain patterns that you see in couples' dynamics that perhaps lead to affairs happening. Yeah, sure. There are what actually two two big yeah. ones. Okay. Um, and and let me let me be clear. Uh, when we get into this, uh, I, I get a lot of pushback from the person who suffered the affair and mm -hmm. saying, "Yeah, it's not my fault at all." And so I want to be clear. I'm not saying that. I do want to say yeah. that there are two major kind of reasons for um, 
I hate to even use this term, but run-of-the-mill everyday affairs. I mean, just kind of the normal. I'm not talking about the sex addictions or the relationship yeah. addictions yeah. or, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, I'm talking about just what is typical. And there are two pieces behind it. One is the disconnection that puts the relationship at risk because humans really do need that deep connection. I mean, we're built for connection from yeah. birth. And so, we, and we can talk some about attachment theory if you want, but yeah. you know, the connection piece is so desperate that when a couple disconnects, they often benignly, I say that benignly because it doesn't play out. So it, it's much more malignant later on, but they hit the pause button, you know, to, to do life, kids, career, whatever. And so they disconnect from each other, not realizing that that's an intentional act. Mm -hmm. So disconnection puts it at risk. Yeah. The second piece. And, and so both people kind of own that um, usually in a marriage for it to be disconnected. Both people have in some ways pulled away from the connection, yeah. but the second piece is on the person who commits the infidelity. And that is that they did not have uh, the boundaries appropriate to protect the relationship. They they either didn't realize they needed it and got themselves into trouble or didn't care to protect it because they felt the disconnection. So those two pieces are the big lead-ins. Um, you know, I've got some colleagues that are, uh, they work solely around uh, affairs and they want to subcategorize them and they'll come up with, you know, three, 10, whatever different categories of affairs. Affair is an affair. Whatever you the person says, this is why I did that. They did it because there was disconnection and they did it because they didn't protect the boundaries as long as we're not talking about that addictive kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely hear that. I mean, I, I guess it's often a symptom of a relationship that has just become really disconnected. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess what I see a lot working with couples is, yeah, I mean, just to agree with you, really, couples, I think, unconsciously can put a pause on. They have children. We think we're just going to wait. We'll resume the relationship when the children leave home. It's that kind of unconscious script, isn't it? And the couple become more and more disconnected. And I guess the more disconnected they are, the more likely they are maybe to look for attachment needs to be met, you know, all sorts of needs kind of outside you know, the, the relationship. It's really gentle work, though, isn't it? Trying to weave that in, because I guess when you have a couple that comes to you with an affair, I mean, what what, what do you do first, would you say? Because I'm guessing you probably don't start there. Well, I actually uh, generally do start there. You do start um, there. Okay. Because where else are you going to gain any capacity of moving forward? If you've got okay. one person saying, I had nothing to do with, and uh, they didn't have anything to do with the actions of the affair. So I always make that very, I mean, huge yeah. caveat when I start. Whoever had the affair, 100% responsible for all of the actions of that. Mm -hmm. Both couples responsible for how the relationship was at risk. Yeah. And uh, so generally, I'll have somebody who um, starts, you know, very angry at the spouse who committed the affair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly, often the person who had the affair is angry about the fact that they felt neglected and all the other things. So you've got this battle of anger. And so part of what I try to put out there is that both people need to hear that both people were part of the disconnected relationship. And if they want to get back to a restored relationship, they're going to have to face that fact sooner or not later. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we spend a lot of time with the blame shifting going on of uh, you did this, mm -hmm. you did this. And that tracks us all the way back to the beginning of the relationship oftentimes. Yeah, yeah, and true. instead, if we can say, hey, you know, what do we want to do to rebuild? One is going to have to at some point be a talk about what are the appropriate boundaries 
But many times people don't want to set boundaries because they don't feel any connection that's there to protect. You know, they, they've, they've rationalized that there's nothing to this relationship. So why protect it? And so we have to also create something that they want to protect in order for that to happen. You know, if you've got something of value and at some point you say, and you protect it, you know, you lock it away and you keep it and protect it. And then over time it tarnishes, it chips away, whatever happens, you finally realize it's not so valuable. Mm. You're not likely to keep it locked away. You're just like, whatever, you know? And so it's the same kind of thing. We, we have to get to the place where we go. Yes, that's important. Mm. We're going to take a conscious shift to connection and we're going to have to also protect the relationship in order for us to not end up here again. Yeah, I mean, so I guess from what you're saying, you'll go straight in and just really start to kind of rebuild the relationship, look at some of the patterns that were not working, kind of leading up to the affair. Something that you you, you talk about in your book, which I really kind of resonate with with couples and affairs is the detective work. You know, the cup took the, the, you know, the partner who you know, is the person who hasn't had the affair, there's a and I understand the pull, but there's almost like an obsessive pull to gather all of the information, you know, which I always warn against because, you know, some of these things, you know, can be very, very unhelpful, I think, to the couple healing. But could you say a little bit more for our listeners around what that is? I mean, what that what, what is detective work after an affair? Yeah, so um, I think part of what's behind it is often a, um, a a sense of needing to control, having felt out of control and trying to regain yeah. some sense of control. And information gives you that, or, or at least um, you think it's going to give you that yeah. sense of control. Yeah. And so people want to know all of the details. You know, they they um, want to. I've heard it um, so many times of wanting to know when, where, how, I mean, positions, every, every yeah. little detail, yeah. um, how long, you know, and, and they do this comparison thing. Uh, but what they're also doing is yeah. creating images in their head that now haunt them um, that may or may not be actually factual, yeah. but they haunt them. Yeah. Um, and so um, when you are in detective mode, the second thing, so the first thing is you want control, but it's not going to give it to you. It's just going to leave you with a lot of extra information you didn't have to process. The second thing about that is when you're in detective mode, you're not in connective mode. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. trying to catch them in a lie. And many times I'll watch people just trying to mm-hmm. trip them up. And sometimes the person who's been involved in an affair, if it has any, any length of time to it, they don't remember the details anyway. It's kind of all blurred in the adrenaline rush of it all. And so they don't even remember that, which leads them. It's kind of like, um, you know, in a trial, an attorney, if they can't do anything else is going to set it up to catch them in perjury. (laughs) And and they, so, so it's the same kind of thing. I'm going to catch you in a lie and prove that you're Mm -hmm. not true about this. And so there is a basic level of information that I think is, yeah, important. it's necessary. I agree. It's necessary just to say, yeah, yeah. this is what happened. This is yeah. uh, how we got here. And and that's what this was about. But after that, all the nitpicky detective stuff really mm-hmm. leads down to a dark, dark rabbit hole of mm-hmm. chasing the, the just the details. You know, they want the receipts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just gets yeah. to be an obsession that yeah. doesn't get them any more connected. Yeah. And, and also, I think, re-traumatizing for for the partner you know the gathering of inf- yeah yeah absolutely repeatedly and, and i find you know and often couples will you know will, will do this one partner will go into detective work 
you know, and they need to know some information, of course, you know, but but all of the details, you know, the more details they find out, I think, over and above actually what happened, I, I think it can be incredibly damaging, really. And I, and I don't know whether you'd, you'd kind of resonate with this, but the partner who's had the, the affair often will tend to drip feed a little bit of information because yeah. they're not wanting to create more hurt. But of course, mm-hmm. that just, you know, erodes the trust even more. But then do you find the same thing? Yeah, and I think that there's some there are multiple motivations mm. to dripping the information. Yeah. Um, I do think that there is the I want to protect my spouse from more hurt. Um, I also think there is the I want to protect my ego from admitting just how uh, yeah. a field I was. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think there is some um, denial going on, um, yeah, and so they don't want to face the facts. Yeah. So there are lots of reasons that happen that happens, and that's part of. You know, if we can be clear, and I, I do think it's fair, you know, to recognize, for instance, generally how long it it went. Yeah. Um, generally, was it physical or purely yeah. emotional? Um, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that uh, there's a difference in hurt. There is a difference in level of that, and yes. so, yeah. um, you know, if and, and and also of confusion of that emotional affairs. Um, man, there's a, sp- a span of gray area that people argue into. Yeah. Um, and so if it's become physical, that's pretty easy to, you know, to say, oh, yes, we did this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there there's a, so there's a basic level of kind of how long it went on. Was it physical? Was it emotional? Um, what other risk factors may have come into it? Uh, you know, unprotected sex. There is a legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. We need to get checked. Yeah. Um, money exchanges yeah. uh, or helping them. I mean, all, all those, there's some details there that do have some impact on how do we move forward. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but after that, all those details, they don't matter. And and what I think is also going on besides the control is wanting the spouse to be truthful. Yeah. And um this is a, they feel like it's a pivot away from the dishonesty of the lying of the relationship yeah, of, of, the, of the affair. And so yeah. they want to go to truthful, but um, sometimes that becomes so aggressive that it really isn't about the truth. It's about the small minute details that you might catch them either not remembering or not telling the truth. Yeah, about. Yeah. And, and it doesn't get us any closer to healing. That's the big thing. No, and you know, it's so truly Lee, what you say. I mean, the, the the person that's had the affair often can't remember the details. You know, I mean, they're they're struggling to remember the details because you know, often, especially with the short affair, it's just been a whirlwind. You know, and like, and you, you kind of mentioned adrenaline and oxytocin in, in your book. Could I thought that was very very interesting? I wonder, could you just tell our listeners a little bit around that adrenaline yeah. oxytocin? Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's just go with kind of the broader piece there is what I talk about. I I always have noticed how hot um, affairs can burn compared to a regular relationship. The difference between using regular gas and rocket fuel is is Mm -hmm. kind of the analogy I often use. Right. The problem is rocket fuel is dang explosive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the you know, it's the rocket fuel that can't last in every day. You can't put it in your car. Um, And so I say that there I use the acronym of false. What is driving the affair is false. And here is what false includes fantasy. Affairs are bound up in fantasy. It's an escape from the everyday life of, you know, your spouse who is 
grubby and dirty, you know, a lot of the time because that's life and the kids are, you know, throwing up all over the place and whatever else is just normal life to going and meeting at a fair partner who's all prettied up or all handsomed up or whatever. And um, so they're on their, you know, they're their best, right? They've dressed up and you're meeting in nice locations. So there's just this huge fantasy that we get wrapped up in. Adrenaline is what we mentioned Um, Mm -hmm. adrenaline comes when we have something that is exciting and fearful kind of combined, right? Um, what do we like about a roller coaster? The adrenaline rush of it's, it's exciting, but fearful and those combined. Um, and so adrenaline is a powerful fuel in our system that becomes addictive. We hear all the time about adrenaline junkies. And the fact is that all humans have some level of that. They seek some excitement out. Yeah. Um, and in this case, what they don't recognize is the fear of being caught is part of the, the driving force. You know, that um, you see it in lots of popular movies or uh, there's that used to be a song that I hated in the in the 80s was uh, was Secret Lovers. And, and it was this whole thing. Yeah. You know, they were they were hiding that. Right. And it, yeah. I cringed every time it came on because part of what was exciting to them was the hiding it. The people don't know. Right. That's yeah. the adrenaline of that. Yeah. Uh, and we're and it, it dovetails into another one I'll get to in just a minute. Mm. The, the L is lostness. So they're lost in their marriage. Um, they're lost oftentimes in life and they're trying to find something that, that gives them something. Um, I think humans, um, need meaning in their life. And sometimes we substitute other things for meaning when something's not giving it that should it's not. And so lostness, we find something that brings something back, some life back to us. Right. And, and it feels like we found our way but it's just into a whole nother lost area. So that's the lostness that, that fuels it. Secrecy, that's the compounder of adrenaline. Um, people don't have affairs generally out in the open. I mean, it's the secrecy is generally what fuels that. Um, and so having a secret with somebody is very bonding. Yeah. And uh, not necessarily in great ways. So you have this secret thing that's going on with this person that was secret lovers was, you know, we have this bond together that nobody knows about. And yeah. so that secrecy often um, filters into that and, and it's, it becomes you and me hiding, right? Which quickly becomes you and me against. And uh, so the secrecy is often a compounder of that uh, adrenaline. The last one is ego. You know, no, there's nothing like somebody saying how adorable you are, how <laughs> lovely you are, how sexy you are, how much I want you to feed yeah. the ego that yeah. often has not had. Uh, and, and there's there's good and bad of ego. Right. I mean, we all have ego. Okay. Um, so uh, the problem in a disconnected marriage is sometimes you feel unwanted, unaccepted. And all of that leads to an ego bruise. And then along comes somebody who says, oh, I love you so much. Now, what they're loving is the fantasy. Yeah, true. It's caught up in the adrenaline that compounds with the lostness and the secrecy. And suddenly the ego is getting this huge boost. Mm -hmm. And that all of that is just a rocket fuel to um, to blast the relationship, which is why most affairs don't last long term very few affairs can transition to a real relationship because they're based. And the other thing is they're based in dishonesty. You know, you're, yeah. and, and I've, I've had many people in my office, you may have too, where, you know, they, 
they are trying to decide between their spouse and this person they've been cheating with. And it suddenly occurs to them that if that other person would cheat with them, they are already layered in dishonesty in that relationship. It's built on dishonesty. And when they realize that many times that's the beginning of the cracking and, and breaking away uh, that, that comes from uh, the recognition of all of that junk that's built into the relationship. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with what you say, you know, and, and often I find, you know, couples that have affairs and then maybe leave their partners, you know, somewhere down the line in that relationship, you know, trust becomes an issue because they both know and they've lied to their spouse. You know, it really can become an enormous issue for, for couples. And what you're saying about fantasy, you know, I think it is so true. And I don't know whether you find this, Lee, but, but often, and I completely understand why, you know, the, the, the partner who hasn't had the affair will, will, will be comparing themselves you know, to this kind of fantasy person and, you know, what this person was like, what they did, who they are. Yeah, And I, I always try to show couples it's a completely unfair comparison mm -hmm. because I guess, you know, the, the people that have been in a long-term relationship share so much more. There's so yeah. much more depth there, isn't it? You know, but I, but I guess it is, you know, obvious that they're trying to, I guess they're trying to find answers, aren't they? The, right. you know, the person that's trying to kind of draw the, draw the comparison. Can I just move what forgiveness is a big part of healing, isn't it? I, could you just say a little bit around that? And I don't know, just your experience with couples, because it's quite often difficult, isn't it, to bring forgiveness in, I think, early on. One of the things that I realized early on in my career, coaching wise and therapy wise, is how much of our issues in life are based on not forgiving. Yeah, that 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 yeah. really is a question, yeah. um, not forgiving uh, parents or not forgiving society or not forgiving a yeah. friend or I mean, it, it all leaves these remnants. And um, so I, I wrote a book on forgiving because and I created a process mm -hmm. for apologizing because I see this as being such a big issue for, mm -hmm. for couples. Yeah. Um, and so let me just say that there are there there are four things that we often put in kind of a big ball. And I think it's important to tease them out. There is apologizing, there is forgiving, there is trusting, and there is reconciling. And mm -hmm. they are four distinct, mm -hmm. uh, often operating separately pieces. And we just, we think that it's supposed to go, I apologize, you forgive me, uh, we rebuild trust, and we reconcile. Mm -hmm. That is not at all the case. No. But if we're going to get somewhere healthy, uh, forgiveness is is a key part, as is taking responsibility or apologizing. Definitely. Um, yeah. And of of course, there is the the need to figure out how to trust. I think trust is, um, we often make it a monolithic, I trust you or I don't. Mm -hmm. And that is not the case either. Um, and, and so many times people get wrapped up into, uh, I can't trust them. Uh, and so I, I've often had people who say, well, you know, I can't, I just can't, I can't trust my spouse anymore. And I'm like, okay, where can you trust them? You know, mm -hmm. what, well, I trust them to be good parent. You know, I trust them with the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I trust them to, um, make the money for the household or, or take care of the household or whatever their duties are. I trust them to, um, you know, uh, go take care of things that need to be taken care of, whatever. I mean, there are different levels. Mm -hmm. And then we start going, okay, well, if you trust them there, what would it take for you to rebuild trust here? And this is a place mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that you can rebuild trust blindly. Um, I always talk about trust being a gift. Um, I can mm -hmm. give a cheap gift of trust or a way too expensive gift of trust. 
Um, and the cheap is no matter what you did, I'll trust you. Um, the expensive is no matter what you do, I'll never trust you again, or it'll take heck of a lot to make me ever trust you yeah. again. Right. And, and there's yeah. a place that's in between of realizing that sometimes back to our beginning conversation, when the relationship is disconnected and somebody doesn't protect it and the trust is broken, that there may be a way back by reconnecting and figuring out how to actually have sensible boundaries in place that often requires somebody to say, Hey, I take responsibility for what I did in this affair. I take responsibility. I apologize for that. I'm so sorry. And the person saying, you know what? I see things differently now. I can understand that. And I forgive you. Um, Forgiveness is not, I'll never think of it again, uh, which I think is one of those myths, right? It's, it's one of those where you keep having to work through it, but it is important. Yeah, and, and and I guess it remains in the story of us. I mean, you know, the affair, you know, is not going to disappear, but it will remain in the story of us. And also, kind of bringing, you know, that brings my mind to, you know, an analogy you use in the book around, uh, which I thought was, you know, was really really true around breaking an arm. That you know that mm-hmm. that an affair once healed is actually can be a stronger relationship. I mean, I think yeah. that's definitely true. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm always curious on where our different models of thinking about things are, Um, you know, uh, so uh, we often um, have this remnant of Sigmund Freud in our mind about, uh, you know, when we say blow a gasket, uh, when we talk about, you know, um, when we blow up at somebody or the pressure builds, all of that was based on Freud using the steam engine as his metaphor of what happens when you have this unresolved stuff that keeps building up and doesn't have anywhere to go. Um, We're not steam engines. Right. And, uh, and so um, the, a new one has been the computer. Our brains are as a computer. They're really not. Mm. Um, We, we know that. I think that we are oddly to put it organic creatures. Right. And Mm. so organic creatures, if I break my arm, it'll, it'll, it can, it can heal. That doesn't have to, but it can heal. If I cut my arm, it can heal. We're naturally healers. And so when people say, you broke my heart, my question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by broke? Because it it really, physically, that's not what happened. You're injured. You're traumatized by it. You're hurt by that. But the images, the metaphors we carry in our head make a difference in how we understand the world around us. So what if we were to use the image of you, you hurt my heart? You know, you, you damaged my ego, my soul, whatever, but how can we find healing in that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the it, nature is like that all around us. We see it all the time. Um, you break a branch on a tree, that tree will compensate and find a way to, yeah. to grow and usually figures out a way of growing stronger and better. And I've got scars on my legs that are tougher than the, yeah. you know, the skin around them. Um, but in getting those scars, I also learned some things about, you know, not yeah. defying gravity so much, <laughs> maybe being more sensible in what I do. Yeah. And uh, so the same is true. The scars we carry mm-hmm. with us in relationships, we can use that to uh, build knowledge, to build wisdom about how we want to have Definitely. the relationship go differently uh, going forward. Yeah, I remember because I guess, you know, suffering is growth, isn't it? I mean, that's I think is true for an individual as it is for a couple. And if a couple can work through the affair, then often on the other side is a much, much more connected relationship, a better and stronger relationship. I'm, I'm so conscious of the time. I knew this was going to go really quickly. <laughs> Tell me about your podcast. 
Could could just could, could you maybe just tell our listeners tell 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 them about the podcast and can you just tell them about all of the other things you do your books? I just want to give you an opportunity to yeah. talk about everything you offer. Um, so I mean, I've, so I've been doing this a long time. I've been online yeah. since 1999, which is I don't know what that makes me on you know centenarian on on the internet but um and so i've been through a lot of the early stuff um and uh i started a podcast oh gosh we're almost 500 episodes into the save the marriage podcast it's not quite every week i try to be every week but it's not uh, about 500 episodes. I also built the Thrivology podcast um, that is about thriving that I, yes. I actually have on pause right now because I've been working on some other projects. But um, between them, I think I have um, maybe 850 or so podcast episodes out there. Save the marriage podcast.com is the shortcut to to find that, mm-hmm. um, at least that one. And, and I really try to... Um, talk about some strategies and thought processes people can use in order to Mm -hmm. save their marriage. And by the way, we can save our marriage at any level, right? I mean, save your marriage doesn't mean you're on the verge of divorce. It could mean that you're recognizing that you're not on a great path and you need to get on a better path and you need to understand it. So I talk a good bit about my understanding of marriage. I've interviewed people on that. I've answered, um, questions from listeners and and also do that on youtube um so i've got a couple of things that are just Mm -hmm. just out there i mean that podcasts are free the youtube Mm -hmm. stuff is free Uh, for people who want to uh take it seriously i have the uh, save the marriage system um you can find it at save the marriage.com i mean Mm -hmm. i try not to hide much about what i do um (laughs) save the marriage.com is just the way to to get to that system written a number of books um seven books, a couple of journals, yeah. uh, depending on how you count things, eight books. I don't know. Mm. And I'm working on a couple now um, that are, are in the process. Mm. Um, and save the marriage.com slash books is a way to just yeah. go to Amazon and see the books. You don't have to get them at Amazon if you don't mm. like Amazon, but it gives you the ISBN and all the other information you can mm. order from somewhere else. I've also got a husband boot camp uh, for people who men who want to be the best husbands they can be working on the same thing for marriages on marriages mm-hmm. doing a, a boot camp mm-hmm. kind of process um and have a lot of just other resources that are out there but that i mean we take up a lot of time and a lot of confusion but the starting point probably the podcast save the marriage podcast.com yeah. yeah yeah i mean because there, there there is a i mean you you have so you know so much information out there yeah, i've been listening to the uh to the podcast and again i would like you know really recommend it to our listeners i've really been enjoying it like I, I, I always ask our guests kind of when we're nearing the end of the show, you know, what their favorite strategies are for sustaining their own mental health. So could I ask you that? I mean, what, what do you do to, to look after your own mental health? Yeah, so one of the things that um, I am always, so this is, there's a, I'm going to go into a little bit of an answer. I had a, a uh, actually a health crisis when I was in my mid thirties and that uh, health crisis woke me up to what I wasn't doing to take care of myself. Here I was doing coaching and and lots of yeah. other stuff and I wasn't taking care of myself. And that really woke me up uh, to how I needed to be better about how I dealt with my body and dealt with my mind. And yeah. so um, that crisis makes me think all of the time about what, what else is, what else do I need to do uh, in order for this life to be, you know, successful. Now, yeah. what is my meaning point? And so, I'm constantly asking that question and reviewing it. Am I on my meaning purpose 
process kind of approach. And yeah. that changes uh, what I do. Um, yeah. Some projects that I think are really cool, I've let go because they don't feed that. Um, I also make sure that I'm active. So uh, my dog and I take a four to six mile hike every morning. Uh, I play pickleball with my wife and by myself. Uh, I used to do jujitsu until the pandemic and we, then we moved. Um, so I put that aside for uh, a number of reasons, but I try to find something that will keep me engaged. Um, mm -hmm. So both pickleball and jujitsu, interestingly, require me to be both physical and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't be thinking about all the other stuff going on. Uh, okay. And I also uh, scuba dive, paddleboard, and a few other things just to mm -hmm. uh, stay active. And so a big piece for me of um, my own uh, self-care is um, taking care of my body um, and taking care of what's yeah. meaningful and purposeful and staying engaged with fun mm -hmm. things to do that um, engage my body and my mind. So that's that's kind of it. Yeah. And all of those things are so incredibly important. And maybe at some point we could have you back on because there's a, we haven't really talked about thriving and we've we've run out of time, which I knew we, which I knew we would do. But maybe at some point you come yeah, again and talk about it. thriving, Lee. Mm -hmm. Could could I just maybe ask you: Is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners that I've not given you the opportunity to just before we finish? Yeah. So one of the the biggest things that I think is transformational for any couple is recognizing uh, that the whole process of uh, marriage is about becoming a what I call a we. Right. We are yeah. in this together. We're a team. And uh, and I so many times I see, and I think this is just the nature of our human brain that often we become oppositional. Um, I, let me tell you just a very quick story. I was okay. at a yeah. I was at a conference. Um, and this person um, had us do this thing. So we were at the, you know, these tables that go upward, little risers. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, I want you, every other row was to turn and face the person behind him. And we put, uh, he said, put your elbow on the table and put your hand so it connects with the other. So both of us had our elbows on the table, table our hands connected. Now, imagine in your mind, this is the arm wrestling position, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what he had us in. He said, okay. So the goal, and I'm looking at this person who's in front of me and she was, and I was young at that point, but she was twice my age easily and frail, small person. And I'm going, oh no, I've got to arm wrestle this person. And so I'm listening <laughs> and he says, so the, the goal of this is to touch your, uh, your, the, your partner's wrist to the table as many times as you can in two minutes. And so I hear that and I'm like, okay, so I'm very gently touching her wrist to the table. I don't want to break it, but I'm not letting her do that to me. Mm. <laughs> and so he calls time and he asks how we did. And there, I was aware around me of hearing this thump, 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 thump sound going on. There are about three people in this room of probably 120 people who had figured out that if we cooperated, we could both touch the opponent's or our partner's wrist to the table as many times as possible. And the rest of us became oppositional. You know, I looked around while I was very gently touching her and there were people who were yeah. locked in this. And I, 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 I went, <laughs> yeah. isn't it funny how you put two people together and the possibility of yeah. when you even say your partner, that you become your opponent. And that made me very aware of what happens when two people in a marriage become oppositional instead yeah. of working together as a team. What is the team going to do with that? 
Um, and so if there's any concept that I, I like to get, I, when I was doing premarital work with couples, it was the, the one thing, the one fact I yeah. wanted them to understand is they are a team and their task is to make it through life yeah. together, supporting each other, yeah. joining together and acting like they're a team with each other. How would you treat a teammate if you're you know, on a team? How would you treat them? Would you badmouth them? Would you try to trip them up? Would you sabotage their playing or would you support them? Tell them what a good job they're doing. Try to make sure that their uh, best comes forward and trying to bring your best yeah. to it. Yeah. That is the biggest thing that I think can transform a marriage. Yeah. And I totally agree. And when couples do that, the relationships can be really beautiful, can't they? When they're couples collaborate. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Okay, I don't, we, we need to finish there, Lee, but I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been thank absolutely you. brilliant and uh, it's been nice to see you again. Good to see you. And again, I'd just like to thank Lee so much for coming on the show. Um, it was as I anticipated when I had the initial conversation with Lee, you know, pre-podcast interview, I had a feeling that we would run out of time really quickly. Uh, I mean, obviously, as you can hear from the interview, Lee brings so much experience um, into the field. Um, and I was really, really left kind of wanting more. Um, I did see, say to Lee at the end of the interview, perhaps he'd consider coming on again. Um, I think Lee's got so much more to to say. Um, and also looking at, you know, kind of flourishing and, you know, looking at some of the other areas that, that Lee covers um, I hope our listeners will agree. It was an absolutely fascinating interview. And it's an area that I've been wanting to cover for a while. Um, obviously fits into our relationship theme for Series 5. Um, and I, I work a lot with couples around affairs and trauma. Um, now I work, I use a slightly different model to the one that Lee uses, um, I'm very influenced by the Gottmans uh, and the Gottmans model for working with affairs and trauma. But that being said, you know, we we understandably had a lot of crossovers and I resonated with a lot, you know, of what Lee talked about. Um, it's really, really difficult, I think, for couples to, you know, to work through an affair, you know, but couples can come out the other side with a stronger better relationship um but obviously there is a lot of terrible lot of pain caused by an affair you know and it is incredibly painful for couples to to work through that some couples the relationships don't survive um but some couples that are able to work through the affair and then look at you know some of the relationship patterns that have not been working bring back trust bring bring, bring back forgiveness can end up with effectively a marriage 2.0, um, a marriage after the affair. Once the affair hopefully is able to go into the story of us, um, a marriage that is stronger. Well, I'm saying marriage, but I'm, I'm just meaning relationship, really. A relationship that hopefully is stronger. And uh, like the kind of broken arm analogy, you know, when the arm heals, when the affair is healed, then, you know, the marriage can be stronger and more kind of hardy in future um yeah I, it was just such, such a I, as usual i wrote down lots and lots of questions for lee and only asked him half a dozen 
Um, but it's a it's a very very important subject which I am going to come back to. Um, I think definitely in this series, you know, whether we come back and whether Lee will come up and got come on again in this series, or whether I'll maybe pick up a couple um, that has maybe worked through an affair. If I'm able to find one, you know, a couple with lived experience of working through an affair. I mean, that would also be a really, really good show. So if anyone's listening, uh, if any couples are listening that have worked through an affair and would, re- and would like to, would be happy to come on the show, then please do get in touch. Get in touch with me, get in touch with Joe. Um, it would be great to have, I think, a lived experience couple on talking about healing from an affair. Lots more relationship stuff coming up. Um, and next show, I think, will be relationship to wellness. Um, but I'm not entirely sure about that at the moment. So watch this space. Um, I'd also, as always, like to say, if you are enjoying the show, please subscribe. It helps us in so many different ways. Um, if you subscribe to the podcast, please like the podcast. Please post your comments. Joe and I love to read your comments. Um, good, bad, neutral. You know, we're really, really open to to feedback. And also check out our YouTube channel. Um, as I know, I always say, the YouTube channel is not doing very well, really at all. We we get we get a few hits here and there, but uh, YouTube we've found out is a very very different beast. Um, and I've only actually got the videos up from series five, and I think maybe a few from the end of series four. Um, so if you do want to see the videos of the guests, then uh, please do check out our YouTube channel. And again, please subscribe. Please make comments. Please like. Um, yeah. And just as always, I say at the end of the show, um, please do look after yourselves, look after each other and look after the planet. And I'll see you really soon, probably in a week or so for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you have been affected by any of the topics on this show or any other of our shows, um, if you're in the UK, then please reach out. Um, Samaritans can be contacted on 116-123. Now, the GP is also a good source of um, contact and can be the gateway for you know, counselling services and other mental health support. Um, reach out to your mental health support team, um, mental health first aider, um, or trusted friend, colleague, or family member. We have a lot of international listeners. Um, so if you're listening from a non-UK country, um, then please reach out to you know your country's healthcare and mental health care providers. Um, and remember, it's okay not to be okay. Hashtag psychotherapy on with Mark Fielding.